If you have your phones, just pull them up, go to the camera. As you point it to the screen, don't take a picture. But you'll notice a pop-up. Click that pop-up. It will open up your Google Play Store or your iOS App Store. And you'll be able to download this app that is the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, with multiple versions, multiple languages. You can read your Bible in Hindi, in Arabic, in Farsi, in English, in French, whatever language you like. You can read the Bible in all those languages through this app. And uh, it is developed by a church in the U.S. They don't charge for it. They were going through a hard financial time as a church. And they decided that it is better to sow than to harvest. If you're going to go, if you're having a financial time, if you're having a higher, excuse me, if you're having a hard time financially, it is better not to worry about that, but with what you have, sow it. And when they sowed it, God not only blessed it, this has now been downloaded. You can see if you've gone to the, the, to the app store, you'll see how many billions, millions, billions, Maybe it's billions already, I don't know, but it's definitely millions, downloads that they've had. And for that to happen, there's a back-end team of professionals, programmers, computer programmers, and others that have been developing this app, and it's been costing them. So they sowed, and the Lord blessed them financially. They didn't sow it to be blessed. They sowed it to help because they had that skill set. They used whatever they had in their hands, to bless the body of Christ and bless the world with the word of God for free. They don't charge a thing for it. And they have negotiated with all the publishers not to have to charge for the versions that they're using in their app. Other programmers, other companies have developed software. I bought it years ago to read the Bible and you would have to pay for every Bible that you would have in the software because of license agreements. So you had to purchase that. But what Life Church has done is they have purchased for every person that downloads, they pay a royalty so that you can have it for free. What's the principle here? The principle is when you are finding yourself in a hard time, don't think about your hard time. Think about what God has blessed you with and how you can use that to be a blessing for others and he will in return make sure you're okay. So this is the time of the, of the service in many churches where money is talked about. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about a principle of sowing and reaping. This is the time that people say, okay, we'll have the ushers come forward with the offering plates. We're not doing that. Not that we don't believe it's a good idea. Don't get me wrong. Not that money is not important to the ministry. But we believe that money will flow from your heart. And we want to encourage you. If you want to give, if you want to make a donation, go to the website, cityriver.com. You'll find a button there at the top that says donate. You can make your donations that way. And you make your contributions and your tithes that way. But this is not the message. This is just the app. Because I wanted you to get to the app. If you've downloaded, and I'm taking time to make sure it's downloaded. If you've downloaded it, go to the book of Psalms. So on the, uh, where is it here? On here, 
this is what it looks like on an iPad. Right? So you go to Bible. And now at the top here, I've selected Luke chapter 20. But I want to go to Psalms right now. And I'm going to go down to Psalm 149. And I'm going to go to verse 1. And the version that I've selected later is the New Revised Standard Version. You can see that on the screen, right? I like the New Revised Standard because it is a translation that has been done by a number of different scholars from different streams in the church. So it has a lot of input. Now, the book of Psalms was the songbook of the nation of Israel. Just like when we have our worship, we have the lyrics on the screen. We don't actually have a physical songbook, but we have many songs. The Bible that you and I have inherited, this app that we've downloaded, the paper Bible that you can purchase, that Bible is combined of the books that are together in another book called the Torah, and that's the Jewish Bible. The Torah is only the first five books, but it has other books, and there are, we have 37 of those books in our Christian Bible. And then we have another uh, 39 of those books, and we have another 27 for a total of 66 books that make up the entirety of the Old and the New Testament, we call them. The Old is the way that God dealt with Israel or humanity before Jesus. The New is how he dealt with humanity after Jesus. Together, they're the Christian Bible. Now, that Bible is revered by a lot of people. The Old Testament is respected by the Jewish people. The New Testament is respected by many more than just the Jewish people. The Jewish people don't accept it yet because they have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. So what we read as Christians, and many other religions use both of those Old and New Testament as holy books. So the books that are in there, the portions that are in there, this book called the book of Psalms, is one of those books that has so much to teach us, so much to encourage us. So when you find the word Israel in there, it isn't a political statement. It is God speaking to a group of people that he has dealt with in a covenant relationship. So then don't get hung up on that. I had some people tell me, hey, listen, I don't like to read the Old Testament because the Old Testament is all about the Jews and I'm not so sure I'm crazy about the Jews. This was somebody from the Middle East. They had, you know, when I grew up, I was born in Egypt and I had a situation in my life where I lived through a war in 1967. We were in Egypt and we lived through a war with Israel. Israel destroyed the army of Egypt. So my heart was already full. You know, I'm Armenian, I'm Egyptian, the, the Jews haven't recognized the genocide. I'm Egyptian, they're attacking Egypt. I don't like the Jews. But I find that every time I go to the Bible, there's something in there about the Jews and the Israel that God is saying. So my heart started to open up. What is God doing? What is he saying? Are they, and then I hear the Jews say, we are God's people. And that makes me even angrier. So which is it? Do I have to hear God's word? Do I have to follow it? What is it? So when we come to the book of Psalms, we find a lot of these messages to the nation of Israel. So what is God saying? 
So in your mind, if you have something in your heart against Israel, I'm going to ask you to just park it for a minute. Because you will miss what God is trying to say to us here. Okay? I'm not telling you deal with it and do that and do this. Ultimately, yes, you have to deal with it because you shouldn't have that kind of feeling against anybody, even your enemies. Right? God wants to clear our heart. He wants to put us in peace with everyone. So when he says here, and this is what we were just doing, he says, praise the Lord. This is why we were singing. This is why the drums and the guitars and this piano and the voices and the yelling and the volume. This is why. Because he tells us to praise him. Who is the one who's telling us? The author of the, the, the psalm is telling us. And the word here, praise him, oops, if you find that little bubble, in, other, in another place, it explains it. It says, praise him is actually the word in Hebrew, hallelujah. Hallelu means praise. Yah is God. Praise the Lord. So whenever they were saying praise the Lord, they weren't just saying praise the Lord. They were actually using the word that today we use as hallelujah. You know, when somebody gives you good news, you don't even think about it sometimes. Whether you're a Christian or not Christian, you don't even think about it. You just say hallelujah. That was, that was a good thing. It, become, it became part of our vocabulary without us knowing the roots. But it says praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Yah is the name of God. Yahweh. Yahweh is the four-letter name of, the, of God that is difficult to pronounce, so they just shorten it to Yah sometimes. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the faithful. Notice that the command isn't just go home in your closet and sing alone. It's sing in the assembly of the people. There is something that happens when we are together with other people of God that are singing a new song. He doesn't say sing the old songs. He says sing to the Lord a new song. Why? Because when you're praising God, you are actually lifting up your voice and saying, Hallelujah, I praise you, I thank you, I worship you, I am experiencing you afresh. And if you are not experiencing Him afresh, if you're not coming into a new encounter with God, and it's just the old stories. You know, I can tell you, I, uh, in 1976 is when I first came to Jesus and He became my Savior. And that's an old story. I praise God for that story. Without that story, I wouldn't have the rest of them. But if that's where all I'm at, I don't have any new encounters with God. I'm not going to have any new songs to sing for God. I'm going to rely on the old stories and the old testimonies and the old experiences, I'm not going to be stepping into that new thing that God is doing and ready to do for me, for us, for the community together as he brings us into that place. So praise him in the assembly. What is God doing in the assembly? What is God doing in the assembly? Not just in your individual life. But what is he doing in the assembly? Is he doing anything new in the assembly? Well, we sold our building in, 19, in 2017, but we haven't found a new building yet. Well, hey, guess what? He wants us to get into a new place. He doesn't want us to stay here. He doesn't want us to have the parking issues. He doesn't want cars parked in the fire route. He doesn't want the fire department to come and ticket and tow them away. He doesn't want any of that. He wants us to have the space we need to do what we need to do, to worship him, to praise him. So start praying for that. Start praying for God to open the door for the right place that we need to find. Praise him in the assembly of the faithful. Let Israel, here it is. Let Israel be glad 
in its maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Who's their king? At one time it was King Saul. After him it was King David. He was the greatest king that ever Israel ever had. And then Solomon, his son. And then there were bad kings. So when he says, let the children of Zion rejoice in their king, who is he talking about? Notice the writers here, the translators, put it as a capital K. So he's talking about a different kind of king. It's the king of kings. He's saying here, let Israel be glad in its maker. So it tells us here that something is unique here about Israel. Forget political Israel. Forget Israel of the Holocaust. Forget Israel of Palestine and, and, uh, and, and the conflicts and all of that. Forget all of that. We're talking about a group of people that God made. God made. And he has entered into a covenant with them where this God who made them now is their king. Does it sound like something that is beyond just the nation of Israel? The church is the covenant people that God made, that Jesus made. The church, you know, in the book of Genesis, the first few chapters, we read the story of how God created humanity. He gave Adam dominion, authority over all the animals that he created, over all the plants, but he was alone. Adam was alone. So Jesus, I'm sorry, when God was, was looking at the situation, every day he creates different things. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, at the end of every day, he would say that this is good. Except day three, but that's a different story. Day one, this is good. Day two, this is good. Day four, this is good. Day five, day six, he creates man, but he doesn't say it's good. He says it's not good for man to be alone. He creates man out of the dust of the earth, it says. He formed the body, breathed into it the breath of life, and man became a living being. But it's not good that he's alone. So he takes man, Adam, puts him to sleep. In his sleep, he reaches into his side and takes a rib. Have you had ribs lately? With a dry rub and a little bit of barbecue sauce put on the grill or slow, or slow cooked for a long time so that you know Swiss Chalet I was there the other day and they were advertising ribs I'm focused I'm really focused and, and, and I'm focused on those ribs and you know what Swiss Chalet says cooked so well the meat will fall off when God took rib from Adam he didn't just take the bone he took something from Adam and it says and he made woman he made a woman he didn't create her like he created Adam he refashioned a portion of Adam and made her 
So here when he says, let Israel be glad in its maker, the people of Israel knew how God made Adam and Eve, created Adam and made Eve. So they should have known. But now today, we can look back 2,000 years ago and we see the creator of all heaven who came in the person of man. We called him Jesus of Nazareth. And th at that time, they crucified him. You know what they did? They put him on a cross, put a crown on him, nailed his hands, nailed his feet, left him there until he died. And when he died, they wanted to make sure he was dead. So what did they do? They take a spear. There were four guards, Roman guards. They take one of their spears, reach up to the man hanging on the cross, and pierce his side. You know why? Well, because they want to make sure what's in the lung. Is he living or dead? So they pierce between the ribs to get to the heart lung so they can see what kind of liquid, fluid flows out. And he wasn't dead yet. But then he went to sleep. He died. Does that sound like Adam? Where God put Adam to sleep so he can take a rib from his side? So what flowed was water and blood when Jesus was on the cross. What flowed was the beginnings of something that's about to be born. Have you ever been to a, a delivery room? What do women, how do women know that they're going to give birth? Something breaks. What? The water breaks. And eventually there's some blood. And the baby's born. And it's the same thing. Let Israel rejoice in its maker. Be glad in its maker. Because he made Israel the same way he made Eve. The same way he made the church. The same way he has prepared for you and me to come into it. By the going to sleep of a man. By going to sleep of a man. So let Israel be glad in its maker. It cost somebody something for Israel to be born. It cost something to go to sleep for Israel to be made. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. You saw the, the women a few minutes ago. And it shouldn't just be the women, by the way. It should be anybody that has the desire. You can grab a flag. Don't feel that it's a girl thing. Okay? Let, you know, I, I, I've done it. I haven't done it lately, but I, I do flag sometimes, and it's got nothing to do with that. I know in some other churches, people start dancing. You know, they, some of them just do the bounce, and some of them just do the, the wave. And, but we are a little bit more sophisticated maybe here. We're a little bit more proper. We don't expose ourselves to such things. But you know what? Have the freedom. Let them praise his name with dancing. That's actually a command. making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. Now, we don't want tambourines all over the place here because it's going to be too loud and it's going to be too messy 
and the worship team that practices so that they can get things on beat is going to be competed with with some people that may not be as skilled as others and it could be and it could be just a total mess so let's just you know let the worship team do its thing but we'll do the dancing okay you like that for the lord takes pleasure in his people he adorns the humble with victory let the faithful exalt in glory let them sing with joy on their couches some of them will not dance some of them will just be couch dancers i was gonna say potatoes but you know what i'm talking about let the high praises of god be in their i would have expected mouth But the translators felt that it should be throats. Not just here. Here could be said that it just you got just put it in and spat it out. But once it's in your throat, it's gone in. And they're not choking on it. But they've got it in their throat long enough so that it's now part of them. Let the high praises of God be in their throne and the two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance. Oh, now this is getting ugly. Now, this may be political, is it? He's talking about executing vengeance on nations and punishment on the peoples to bind their kings with fetters. You know what fetters are? Fetters are those iron clamps that they put on arm hands and and like ankles and and uh wrists bind them up and their nobles with chains of iron to execute judge the judgment decreed this is the glory of all his faithful ones praise the lord wow wow why why does god put that in there why does the scripture tell us that israel is supposed to execute judgment on the nations. This is the ideal. This is not the real. What's the real? The real is that Israel can't execute judgment on the nations because Israel has failed in its own purity over the the years. So God has come in and said you can no longer do that. But let's look at the first instance So the first time that the situation is arising where there is a need for judgment over a nation. Are you with me? Are you tracking? Israel is supposed to execute judgment on the nations. When Israel is in a position of doing the covenant, it is supposed to be a nation that is a prototype. Understand with me here. It's supposed to be an example nation for all other nations so that they would see how Israel is walking with its maker. And it's king. And when the nations see this prototype example of a nation that has been made by God, walking with God, submitting to God, 
other nations will want the same thing. That's the model that God created. When Israel does what Israel is supposed to do, Armenia could look at it and say, wow, I want part of that. Iran could look at it and say, "What?" Canada could look at it and say, wow, look at this people. God is their maker. God is their king. We don't want kings that are bad kings. We want God as our king. Let's go join them and see what they've got. That's the plan. But when Israel doesn't do that, when Israel begins to now look the same as the other nations, we want a king. The other nations have a king. Give us a king, but I'm your king. No, no, no. We want a man as a king. So he gives them King Saul. So when Israel doesn't do what it's supposed to do, the other nations won't be jealous, won't pursue what God is supposed to do through Israel. They will not pursue the God of Israel. Sounds familiar. It's just like the church. When the church isn't doing what the church is supposed to do, when the church doesn't live in the way that it's supposed to live, when the church doesn't show kindness, mercy, compassion, love, forgiveness, grace, all those things that the Lord is supposed to have done in the church, when the church doesn't do that, is it any wonder that society doesn't want to have anything to do with the church and the God of the church? So the problem isn't God. The problem isn't that at all. The problem is, or the solution here, that God is trying to execute. He is trying to put the situation into the hands of people to live the right way so that other people would be attracted to him. And if that happens, there will be no need for judgment and vengeance on the nations because everybody will want in on this deal. We're going to take a, a little jump back in history. Before this stuff was written, and we're going to look at the situation at the time when Israel was not yet a nation. When Israel was yet just a family. And this is, by the way, how every nation developed. All of us came from eight people on a boat after the flood. And those eight people... Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. These eight people, as they multiplied, more and more families developed. And as more and more families developed, some of those families grew so large that they started to look different, behave different, act different, eat different food, wear different clothes. And then they had this tower that they were building all together. And God confused their languages because they were going to destroy themselves by building this tower. Tower of Babel. So he gave them different languages. So now they also have different languages. So the nations formed out of the different families and the different languages and the different geographies. So the nations came together that way. Now there was a period where Abraham was just wandering and God calls him and he promises him a son and to make him a great nation. He was just a man with his wife, no kids. No nation yet. But as God spoke to Abraham, Abraham believed. His wife was old, he was old, there was no time for children anymore, there were, time was past. But God made a promise and they believed it. So they have a son at the very late age. Even though he had relations with his second wife, Hagar the Egyptian, he had his son Ishmael. And now he, God says, no, that's not the son that I want to do this deal with you, the covenant with you. It's going to be through Sarah. So he has Isaac. 
Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. One of them is sold as a slave by the others at the time, 10 and maybe 11, and they got rid of him, Joseph, and he ends up in Egypt. He becomes the savior of Egypt when there was a famine. He was able to see God in dreams, and God gave him a plan as to how to survive the famine. So he gives the plan to Pharaoh, and now Egypt, a nation, a strong nation, with its own language, with its own clothing and culture and shaved heads and all the rest of that and pyramids and houses and all the things of Egypt. Joseph, a grandson, great-grandson of Abraham, is stuck in Egypt, but he's now been raised up as a second in command. His family is back in the wood, in the, in the desert. The famine is coming. And they come to Egypt to get help from the famine. He recognizes them and he brings them all to Egypt. And Pharaoh blesses them because he loves Joseph. But Joseph now is gone. That generation dies. Egypt now, Israel is the family of Abraham. Forget Israel. The family of Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, grandson, his children the great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren of Abraham are multiplying in number. And the new Pharaoh doesn't remember Joseph and what he did for Egypt. So he gets angry and he says, these Jews are multiplying so fast, let's find a way to control them. So he now brings them and, and places them under heavy labor. They're slaves, but they're free, free. They're not living in different people's homes like individual slaves. They're government slaves. So they're in that situation, but they're not free. But God promised Abraham that they would be a great nation. So now it's time for him to make them into a great nation. But they were now serving. They were now serving. Where am I here? My slides have the wrong title. This should be Exodus, not Psalms. Okay? So if you have your Bible app, go to Exodus 12, not Psalm 12. They're now in Egypt. And God is now exercising his power to birth a nation, to make a nation. And like I said earlier, don't get caught up about the word Israel. Don't think political. Think of a relationship between God and a people and a family. Okay? Because he's trying to get us to understand something about how he works with things. He's using a prototype nation called Israel. A prototype family. So he's now talking to Moses as their leader. And he says to Moses, while they were in Egypt, there were already nine times God pushed against Egypt. Nine plagues. He turned the water to blood. He caused animals to, to die, he caused flies, and he caused, you name it, different plagues. People with sores. Now he's talking to, Abraham, to, to Moses and Aaron, and he's telling them to prepare for Adam to go to sleep so that he can take the rib out. What? That's not what the scripture says. Watch. Tell the whole congregation of Israel, in other words, assemble them together and tell them. On the 10th of this month, I skipped a verse in there just to speed things up. 
you are, they are, to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If the household is too small, it should join with its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in portion, in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old, and take it, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old, without blemish, perfectly whole. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel up at the top of the house in which they are to eat it, in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Verse 9 says, actually, cook the whole thing, including the internals. Ribs. Cooked so well, it falls off. You shall not let none of it, you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn with fire. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt from human to animal. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Does this sound like Psalm 149? Where he says that I will give you authority to bind kings and princes. These are the kings that he's talking about. These are the powers and the principalities that were at work in Egypt overpowering the individual humans that were making them do things that they were beyond humanity. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Let's read that again. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt from human to animal. That would include the Jews. Every firstborn, human and animal. But because they have the blood on the doorpost, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. Where I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. When I see the blood, the blood of what? The blood of your father who died? The blood of the one-year-old lamb without blemish that you killed and you're cooking and you're going to eat and you're not going to leave anything until morning because if you keep it till morning, you have to burn it. It's useless in the morning. It is for that day and that day only. It cannot survive. It can't be food for you the next day. Even if you're big, you know, a lamb that's healthy, you don't want to split it with your neighbor. Don't think you're going to eat it the next day. You're going to have to share it with your neighbor, finish it together, each person, person according to their portion. It cannot wait until the next day. And the blood has to be on the doorposts. 
when God is doing that, he's giving us an example of the doorpost. What's going to happen in that doorpost? The lamb, blood was there. Is death coming in? No. What's coming out? What's coming out? Who's coming out? The people. In the morning when the day is past and the angel of death has gone through the land and God has gone through the land and killed every firstborn, the people that were inside who ate the lamb, who had the blood on the doorpost are going to come out and they're like born again. They're coming out into a new life. All the other homes that don't have the blood have death. But these ones have life. They've come out through the blood. In my mind, and my mind works weird, I know. I see pictures. I see Eve being pulled out of a cut that had blood because God opened up the ribcage and pulled the bone out. And I see Jesus standing on the cross or crucified on the cross and the piercing going in. And I see blood where the meat or the flesh, the wound, where the water came out. And as he was asleep, I see the church coming out of him. And I see the same thing coming here where Israel is born in a day. Can a nation be born in a day? Yes. Israel was asleep as slaves, but the lamb had to be slain. And when the lamb was slain, Israel was born that day. The people that were the family of Abraham have now become the nation of Abraham, the nation of Israel, and they were born. But they couldn't eat that meat of that lamb the next day. And it's the same with us. Today is the day. You will not be able to receive the salvation tomorrow. You know, when Jesus was on this earth, they were presenting him with a situation that was similar. They were saying, hey, the, you shouldn't be doing these things today. He was doing some things on the Sabbath, the Saturday, and there was laws in the Bible that he gave that you shouldn't do things on the Sabbath. But they fine-tuned those laws to the point that they became a, a straitjacket. They became a bondage to the people. So here, John chapter 9, he says these things. He says, you, I, he, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day night is coming when no one could work eat the lamb when it's the day for eating it because the next day it's gonna burn and it is God's heart he did everything that you would be prepared to receive his lamb today because tomorrow Everything that he has done will be burnt and it's going to cause him pain because it is not his desire that anyone should be lost. But he came to save all that was lost. So to some degree today, you may be thinking, you know, I'll put it off. I'll put off following God. I'll put off worshiping him. I'll put off till later because I am so busy right now. Listen, I've just gotten to this country. I've just gotten into this family. I just got married. We just had a kid. I'm, I'm just got this new job. Whatever your circumstance is, it is always going to be the same. You're always going to have something new. You're always going to have something pressing. You're always going to have a health issue that you can't handle. You're always going to... 
I'm sorry, that's not the right declaration. You're not going to have health issues that you can't handle. You will have victory over every health issue. But there's always going to be challenges that are beyond our ability to deal with. We're always going to be like the people of Israel that were slaves, free. They could go and come as they want. But they were slaves in their own homes. And today the interest rates are rising. They've stabilized last week. They didn't rise. But who knows what's going to happen. We don't know what your savings are going to be worth in a few years. We don't know what your health is going to be in a few years. I, in the last three weeks, I've been part of six funerals. In three weeks. That's a hard hit. The last one I heard about was a young man with the kids, two kids under 12. Went on vacation, wasn't feeling well, boom. Next day they found that he was dead suddenly. You have no idea. As long as it is today... Deal with the issues of what God is trying to get you to deal with because He is trying to make you into a great nation. He's trying to birth you through the blood, the blood that His Son shed on the cross. He's trying to bring everything to the place where you, all you have to do is make Him your King. All you have to do is surrender. I know it's so hard because the world, the society that we live in, everything is about you becoming number one. But Jesus also said, if he who gains his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will, will have it. A one-year-old lamb, baby, cute. Raise it up in your family. Feed it for a number of days. So the kids get familiar with it. You know, when we have baby dedications, we say we want to raise up our kids to know Jesus in the home first. They knew the lamb. Daddy, why are you killing it? Because God told us. God is hard. Well, watch what God is going to do. Tomorrow morning, they will be crying all over Egypt, but because we obeyed God and killed this lamb and put its blood on a doorpost, you're going to be safe in the morning, baby. Because we obeyed God and didn't despise it and think that he is harsh or that he is judgmental or that he is unfair because we obeyed and we didn't understand what we were doing. We don't understand the magic of some blood from a lamb on the doorpost and now the angel is going to pass. And we call, what do we call that night? The Passover. The Hebrew word for the Passover is Pesach. In Arabic, it's Fasih. You may have heard Eid al-Fasih. In Farsi, maybe it's pronounced different. In, in Arabic, it's Fasih. The word Fasih, the word Pesach, doesn't just mean passing over. It does. It definitely means I will pass over. And that's what the Jews even call it, the Passover. But it also means something else. It means making room making space so in the passover he is making space he's widening something does it sound like what god did with the rib he's making space so he can pull it out he's making space at the table so you can sit and eat he's making space in the family because there's going to be more people in the family that need to come and be part of the family he is making space so that when we go to here and we come and we sing praises to God in the assembly, there is room for one more always. 
there's a room for you. There's a room for your family. There's room for the neighbor's family. There's room for you to come and sit at the table with God because of the Passover, because of Pesach, because he opened the way, because he died on the cross, because he became the lamb that gave his life, the lamb that is now the lion, seated at the right hand of the Father. Because of what he has done, let us be glad in our maker. Because of what he has done, we can be the ones, the children of Zion. Notice he switched it now from Israel to Zion. Why? Because Zion is where it all happened. Zion is that mountain where he died. Zion is that mountain where he spilt his blood. Zion is that mountain where God put him to sleep so that Eve can be born. Zion is the place where you and I can come and we can make him our king. Stand with me, will you? I know I painted a lot of pictures with words. But there's one thing. It isn't about Israel. It isn't about judgment. It is about God and his love for you from before you even knew there was a God. He loved you and he sent his son, his son, his only son in the human form. He came himself. He and his son are one. It's not two gods. It's one God that expresses himself in different persons. Spirit, Father, Son. He came in the form of a son and died, went to sleep. And he didn't stay dead. He rose again. Just like Adam. Adam was put to sleep. The rib was taken out. But then God woke him up and showed him what happened. So Jesus went to sleep. The rib came out. The church was born. They were still afraid. And he shows up and shows them here. Look, it's me. So today, he's walking among us. If you've never come face to face with this reality, today, not tomorrow, today, is the day you should make this decision to receive him as your king. Receive him as the one who died to cover, to become your sacrifice, your lamb, your hurban, your zabiha, your sacrifice, your offering to God. He became that to you. So let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray a prayer. If you've never prayed to ask him to be your savior, today is your day. If you have and you've drifted, today is your day. If you've never drifted and you want to go deeper, today is your day. Whatever the case, today is your day don't wait until tomorrow we're gonna burn it tomorrow what's gonna happen tomorrow it's gonna it's gonna burn his heart more than you can imagine let's pray father I come to you today I may not understand all of it but I want you I want your grace. I want to be part of your people that can worship you in the assembly. I want to say hallelujah. I want to say praise you.
I want to be part of those in your kingdom who recognize you as king. I want to do that today, Lord. So I surrender my heart. I surrender my will. I say, you are my king. Magnify yourself in me right now. May your praises fill this space. May it be filled with dancing. May it be filled with rejoicing. May it be filled with new songs because of new experiences and new testimonies. We thank you and we bless you and we pray this in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Wherever you go, recognize that you have been made to carry his image. You are his image bearer. You were made in his image. Adam was made in his image. You're a son of Adam, a daughter of Adam. You've, made, you've been made in that image. And you can carry his presence to impact your surroundings everywhere you go. Have a blessed week. We'll see you here next Sunday. Love you so much.